I will say that at 54, if I post on, if I post my face on my Instagram channel, people unfollow me. My numbers go down. Whereas if I post products, they go up. The engagement is much, much higher if it's my face, but the actual numbers goes down. And that's being an older woman on Instagram. That's the reality. to Beauty Island, the beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I'm your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. In case this is your first listen or you just need a little refresh, this is a beauty podcast with a twist. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them, the ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the product that reminds them of their mum, the beauty product that defined their teenage years, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today's episode is the last of my London series that I recorded when I was over there the other month. And my guest is Jane Cunningham, who you might know as a British beauty blogger, or rather literally, British beauty blogger. She has almost 40,000 Instagram followers with hundreds of thousands of views on the blog she started over a decade ago. She's written for The Guardian, The Financial Times, Metro, The Express and many, many more. She very kindly offered to come to me in London when I was staying with my cousins. So a quick shout out to Andy and Mickey for letting me turn their living room into a pop-up podcast studio. And the sun was shining on the August weekday when we spent an hour on the sofa chatting all things beauty. We talked how influencer and makeup brand collaborations really work, why red lipstick isn't for her, the ridiculousness of face masks for your bum, and had one of the most interesting discussions I've ever had on the attitude the beauty industry has towards older women and whether it's changing. Plus, she shares her eight chosen products, including the extortionately expensive, her words, lip balm that she just can't stop buying. If you enjoy listening to Beauty Island, please subscribe and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me making the podcast how you like it and also assists in other people finding us. And if you're on Instagram, share where you're listening from. Just tag me at Beauty Island Podcast in your stories. Now over to Jane. Enjoy. Jane, welcome to Beauty Island. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. Now, can you remember your first memory of when beauty kind of came into your life? Well, I grew up in Scotland, really in the middle of nowhere. So I didn't have a lot of sort of external influences on that front. But my dad worked in the fashion business. So he was kind of keyed in to that sort of world, if you like. And inexplicably, they bought me, my mum and dad bought me one of those Estee Lauder sort of Christmas sets. And it had three lipsticks. It had three eyeshadows, it had mascara, it had powder. And I could not believe that they bought it for me. I was like thinking, thank God, they really are my parents at last. <laughs> at last I've got confirmation. I, that was really it. And I can even, I can remember lying on my bedroom floor and I can remember just opening the lipsticks to smell them. And that, that sort of sweet kind of waxy smell 
of Estee Lauder lipstick. Oh my goodness, that was just that was really the thing that imprinted on me. I think. And growing up in Scotland, so where in Scotland? Can you tell me a bit about about that stage? It was in the borders. So, I mean, really, the nearest town was about 30 miles away. The nearest sort of big town, biggish. The nearest small town was about eight miles away. So it was a really countryside childhood. You know, we had a river at the bottom of the garden and, you know, we'd go fishing for little tiddlers and our buckets and everything. So it was, yeah, it was very much a country childhood. I was actually just in Edinburgh last week and we visited Melrose is that in the borders? Yeah yeah where my grandparents and great-grandparents used to live. Right it's really beautiful that part of the world but you know my mum always said that I was even as a toddler I was only happy when my feet were on a pavement (laughs) you know and there's no pavements where I live so I think I was always destined to leave. The second product on your list after the Estee Lauder box Mm. is the one that defined your teens and we've got kind of a general product as opposed to a specific one, which is black lipstick. Can you yeah. tell me about your experience with that? So my the, the Estee Lauder box kind of set me on a path of discovery with makeup. I mean, makeup is my big love rather than skincare and that sort of thing. I find it quite hard to get enthusiastic about skincare. It takes something quite special for me to get really excited about it. But I really liked, I suppose, the theatre of makeup and I was really confident. So I was happy to wear a black, a black lipstick and just to push the boundaries to do rainbow eyelids and that sort of thing. And I really didn't care what people thought because I I really liked it and it felt sort of quite a comfortable place for me. You obviously, your career is in journalism and media and I think obviously we know you now for beauty, but you didn't start in beauty, you started in parenting, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So it, it just really bizarre. This is why I say to people who are sort of worried about university or worried about what, what they're gonna do in the future, you know, my path was a really strange one into journalism in that I did an I did an evening course as called an introduction to journalism after I'd had my kids I just wanted something else to do a friend suggested it so I did it and then I started sending off stories to local papers and funnily enough they picked it up so then in those days you could you had to fax things so I faxed a story that I'd written about my son liking Barbies and I I faxed it to a parenting magazine called Junior Magazine and they really liked it so I said can I come in a day a week and just intern with you so I was like the oldest ever intern but they did let me and so yeah I ended up writing it was kind of like a humor column and then I started writing about other things and from there I got a column in The Guardian called Childish Things which was like looking at children's toys and if you can imagine the scenario of having 10 tents pegged in my garden (laughs) because you had to test try and test you know everything that came through the door so yeah it was really fun but I was even when I was at Junior Magazine I remember seeing the makeup that they got sent in thinking that's what I want to do so I feel like you'd probably have a bit more fun with the makeup than the tents Oh, I don't know. Oh, we had not. we had we had about seven paddling pools at one point. That was <laughs> hilarious. My kids loved it. Absolutely loved it. The third product on your list. We're going back a little bit, backtracking a little bit, which is the one that you kind of um, or that your grandma wore or used to wear, and. Just the way that you describe this made me laugh so much. Her heart attack lipstick. Can you explain that to me? Well, okay. So we're going back a few years because my my grandma was she was she was just lovely. She had such a sense of humour. She was hilarious, and she 
in those days a lipstick was quite a treat like you didn't have a drawer of lipsticks like we have now you had maybe one or one for your drawer and one for your handbag and that was it and anyway so if you bought one in the wrong color it wasn't like you could chuck it out and just go oh well never mind i'll buy another because they didn't have that kind of sort of economy freedom i don't suppose and yeah so she bought one that was just a little bit blue toned <laughs> and because she was quite a big lady when she put her um her blue toned lipstick on it we called it her heart attack lipstick because <laughs> she did look she did look a bit blue in the face with it so you had your parenting column writing about children's toys you're seeing the beauty like the beauty deliveries coming in how did the beauty writing start? I did a feature for a magazine because I was doing other freelance work as well. I did a feature for a magazine that just doesn't exist now and I can't remember the name of it, but it was quite a forward thinking magazine. But I set up a stall in Greenwich Market offering free advice based on some two women in New York, in Greenwich Village in New York, called the Advice Ladies. And I thought, right, let's do, let's just replicate that one time only in Greenwich, London. So I, I did that and they sent another, the publication sent another journalist to do it with me because they didn't, they hadn't used me before. So they didn't, I wasn't sort of tried and trusted, if you like. So they sent Ruth. Uh, to come and do it with me and we had the most amazing day we got on like a house on fire but one of Ruth's friends was the beauty editor at the Daily Express and that's that was my routine because I pitched to Emma and Emma took my work and from then on that that's where I went to. So you were writing beauty for other places before you decided to start your own blog or it was yeah, going on I was freelance yeah because the market was not as crowded with freelancers then as it is now and there just came a point where I thought I, I need to start talking I was questioning how, what I was saying to women because it was all such a format and yeah I'd been watching the USA blogs weblogs as they were called then most people don't even know that blog is a is a shortening of weblog they've got no idea but it, yeah and I start thinking mm, I think I like the look of this so I think this was was it about 11 11 years ago yeah. or longer now 11 years ago what was the beauty blogging scene like then if it existed at all particularly in the UK there were very few very few you have to think YouTube was quite new uh, the only people I knew doing YouTube knew of was Sam and Nick Chapman of Pixie Woo. They're the only people that I knew of at that time. And I wasn't all that interested in YouTube in any case. But there were one or two of us on that we sort of discovered each other by leaving comments on each other's blogs and got to know each other. Then Twitter came along. We or it, it probably came along a bit before that, but we sort of were in a discovery stage. So... And so we all connected on Twitter, but there was a handful, a handful only really back then. And was there a particular moment or catalyst for starting British Beauty Blogger? Whether a frustration with the industry or content that you yeah. weren't seeing? Now, I'll tell you what it was. There was a, a girl in America called Blogdorf Goodman. And she was, do you know her? She had this amazing blog. I don't even know if she still has it, but she described herself as a girl with too many coats. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a woman with too much makeup. I think these are the grounds for me to be able to. So technically speaking, because I'm so useless, I do not. I think it, I started it on Blogspot, yep. which wasn't that hard to set up. And from there, I couldn't believe I'd actually managed to start my own blog. But I really loved I just 
there's a lot of unpleasantness in beauty world and we can't pretend it's all pretty and lovely it isn't it's awful sometimes it's a very commercial world and i think i just wanted to shed some light on the fact that you know you can be your own person you can love beauty but actually be a be an informed consumer and i think that's something that obviously anyone who's read your blog knows that you're not afraid to kind of talk about the inner workings particularly the relationship between pr and things yeah like that has there been a particular article or topic particularly when you're talking about things like that that have really started a conversation that you've been surprised about it's really it's really difficult to say because you know i partially see my job is to be disruptive it's not to just go oh yes how lovely everything's lovely you know the clean beauty industry at the moment is crazy i mean clean beauty is not a thing it's a marketing term and yet people are so ready to accept it. I mean, this whole thing about waterless beauty. Uh, yeah, okay, so the product has no water, but in the production of the product, there's so much water. I mean, it's just, it's mad. And I suppose I've sort of got down off my high horse a bit because, you know, you can only be angry for so long. <laughs> and, but, and now I just try and infiltrate little bits of information. It's a much more placid place than it used to be. I was really kind of up for being a disruptor and then it's not that I'm not up for it now but I just realized that maybe I don't need to be quite as um, vehement about it and that there are there are other ways I think to communicate. Obviously there are a lot of people writing about beauty but the community in the sense of people working with certain brands is quite small you kind of can see what brand is promoting what product by the 10 people that are talking about it at a time. Being a person who is known and well trusted for telling it being honest about a product has it affected kind of the commercial side of what you do yes it really really has i mean i cannot i can't complain because my blog has only been commercial for about half the time it's been running so i've had quite a short space of time but i think i've been quite lucky in that space with sort of collaborations that i've done with brands so i did a, a range of products with marks and spencers and it was just a limited edition, but the whole lot went, which was amazing. It was just really super. And it gave me a chance to work with illustrators, an illustrator, Nuno da Costa, that I'd followed for a really long time and loved his work. So that was lovely. And then I did a palette with Makeup Revolution, which still exists now. And that was their first ever collaboration. And it was great. You know, I was really, really happy with that. But it, it has really, really, really cost me in many, many ways because you can't, on the one hand be saying here's all the things that are wrong with this brand and that brand but here I am promoting their shampoo you can't so it's just a case of being really trying to be ethical and understanding that if I want to be the angry person I'm going to be slightly poorer than the happy people and that's okay so you mentioned your two collaborations with Marks and Spencer yeah. and Makeup Revolution take us behind the scenes of how those come about and the actual process of getting well, on the shelf. it's a nightmare it's just an absolute nightmare actually makeup revolution wasn't a nightmare i have to say but marks and spencers when you work with a big corporation you know you go to a meeting about your palette and there's 27 people there from and it, it's just oh my goodness it's it's it almost feels like it's never going to happen because the wheels turn so slowly and so painfully because there are so many people in the decision making process 
but I worked with Makeup Revolution right at the very beginning when they were really at starting their journey and look how incredibly successful they've become. So that's been amazing. I think well, they've I've, just launched in Australia in the last Have they? Yeah. Is London Drugs Australian or is that Canadian? Because I know I it's, it's in, Australian. Oh, it must be Canadian then. But they, yeah, I mean, they became a global brand really quickly. So actually that collaboration in the end turned out to be really lucrative to me. And it's actually allowed me to carry on being just as I am really without having to compromise. So technically speak, I mean, I was late with that palette because Adam kept saying, have you, have you decided yet? And we got really stuck on a blue. There's a blue color in there. And the, one of the things that I hate is blues that shift green and we got really stuck with that and it went backwards it went back and forth back and forth back and forth and eventually i just had to go okay fine this it's not perfect but it's okay but that's the only color that i still feel unsettled by (laughs) and who particularly your makeup revolution palette who was in your mind when you were creating it who are you creating it for do you know it was women like me so colors that are going to be day-to-day useful. It was slightly before all the really bright colors like Huda and what have you started coming out and Urban Decay with these really crazy colors. It was a bit, I was a bit before that. So it's every day, it's 10 quid for, is it 30 colors, 20 colors in there? I can't remember. But you, you open it up and you can just instantly go, okay, I'll wear that one instead of like, oh, I don't quite know what to do with this and do with that. And it was for, all colors, all ages, all budgets. That was really important. And I think that is really important, as you said, because I think obviously you've got the diehard beauty lovers who the crazy yellow palette, the better. But for someone who is, you know, not watching YouTube beauty videos all the time, a palette can be so intimidating. You're because right. it's like, what, what goes with what? How do I, how do I use it? You are absolutely right, because as beautiful as these multicolor palettes look i am stuck with yellow even <laughs> i can't work yellow properly and i i've yet to meet the person who can to be fair apart from some of the really beautiful asian makeup artists who can really create i don't know just quite exciting looks with it but i, I personally i can't do a thing with yellow and i just wanted a palette for people who know what exactly what to do as soon as they opened it without any of that sort of hard thinking and maybe you know not everyone knows what to do with makeup people want to wear it they don't quite know how so I wanted it to be really just for every woman the fourth product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory for you which Uh. is Chanel number five can you tell (laughs) me why this is special well this was the perfume that my husband he wasn't my husband then he bought it for me and so I ended up marrying him so there you go I just thought yeah this guy this guy sees me how I see me because I thought yeah I'm definitely the person who deserves Chanel number five which sounds really arrogant at the time but it wasn't it was just like yeah yeah this is right for me definitely I mean obviously that's not the only reason that I married him (laughs) but it really helped I have to say yeah so did you wear it on your was it your wedding day perfume do you know I don't think I did wear it on my wedding day I can't remember that I wore any perfume on my wedding day I don't remember having a special perfume on that day and I feel like when it comes to perfume there are kind of two camps there are the people that wear have one perfume that they wear all the time or those that like to dabble in a few others where do you kind of fall so I think it's a bit different if you're someone who gets sent a lot of fragrances which I do um you know I don't naturally wear 
uh, fragrance every single day but I might go two weeks wearing it every single day and then I forget and don't wear it for a month and then sort of pick up again but uh, funnily enough it's really weird that you say that because on the tube on the way here I did put perfume on this morning not on the tube before I left the house and then the person sitting next to me on the tube moved and sat somewhere else in the same carriage and I thought oh no maybe it's the perfume can that you, I'm wearing can you say the one that you you chose to spray it's called co co pp which is the island in it's a place in thailand yeah and it's by a french company called bedou and yeah I, I, it smells of um, sort of lang lang and it's kind of tropical but without the coconut but I just thought oh no why did he move I mean I'm sure it was something more to do with the seat than with you but well it's just, it just I just thought oh no because it's only it's one that I've only got recently so perhaps it's I don't know I don't know if you can smell it faintly I mean not it's not strong. nothing to make me want to move further away from you <laughs> But maybe it's someone who hates Lang Lang or something. I mean, who knows? Particularly with your writing on your blog, one thing that struck me that one of the many things that differentiate you from other people is I feel that you do individual product reviews, which I really like, yeah. rather than just lists or collation. Was that a, a conscious conscious decision? Yes, because I, you know, one of the things that I've always committed to do is to put out at least three posts a day. So if I did it by collection, I mean, they would be very, very lengthy. I always think of what I'm providing is is a canapé rather than the full dinner. You know, it's not the main course. They're not going to go really, really in depth, but they will show you what's new, what's fun, what's nice, what's not nice, just really in quite a concise and brief way. But in order to do that three times a day, sometimes I think it's best to focus on individual products and then you can give them some proper attention and they're usually products that are new or newish so they'll be in people's minds anyway because they'll be seeing them advertised and that sort of thing i feel like you've been doing um, a fair bit of instagram tv lately as well because it's interesting because you said before didn't really have an interest in youtube yeah but you've started i did have a youtube channel and I did some um, YouTubes with uh, my friend Simon Glazen, who's he's, he's a fashion blogger, really. But I've known him for such a long time and we met through blogging. We get on really well and we do do some quite fun YouTubes together, which are still rattling around there somewhere, I'm sure. But I just don't. YouTube is not my place. I'm 54. You know, I'm not 14. So YouTube is not my happy place at all. I go on YouTube and watch people put makeup on going, what, why am I watching this? It's not really of any particular interest to me, apart from Nick and Sam, who I can, I can really watch them because they're amazing and most, and I know them. So I feel like there's more of a connection. So IGTV is just like a really good way to do something very similar to YouTube without having to go anywhere near YouTube. And that, that suits me really well. And also, I will say that at 54, if I post on, if I post my face on my Instagram channel, people unfollow me. My numbers go down, whereas if I post products, they go up. The engagement is much, much higher if it's my face, but the actual numbers goes down. And that's being an older woman on Instagram. That's the reality. That is awful. It's true. It's true. It's a fact. It's a fact. And talking about age in beauty, you've described yourself, hate the pro-age as opposed to, you know, this yeah. whole anti-aging yeah. thing. Talk to me a bit about your 
how you feel about how the industry talks to and treats to women who aren't 25? I think there is a shift and it's really, it differs from country to country, I might say. You know, some women are just very willing to sort of collude with the beauty industry and go, yes, of course, I must be more beautiful. I must be prettier and I must never, ever look my age. And, you know, why they do it, I don't know. But, you know, it's not really up to me to judge why. But all I know is that I don't feel it's a message that allows older women to go forward in confidence and with sort of happiness about themselves. And so if I can find a route to tell people that actually beauty isn't one thing, it's many, many things, and you are still entitled to beauty at every age. If you're 90, wear your lipstick, rock it out, you know, just be confident in who you are. And I hate the industry message of you are not valid unless you have youth on your side. And I further hate the fact that it's just constantly promoting about how we can be better when actually we're fine. We're just absolutely fine. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, you mentioned that there is, you know, a slight change going on. I think you think of, you know, L'Oreal kind of age perfect using Helen Mirren as a spokesperson. But I mean, the skeptic in me says, is it genuine change or is it just money making? And do you think it matters if it leads to people feeling a bit more represented. I think if people feel spoken to, then that messaging is working. That message has worked. I mean, I do seem to remember that Helen Mirren said at a press conference that she couldn't be bothered with any beauty products at the same time as she was promoting uh, L'Oreal. So that slightly kind of... But but there's the reality. I like her even more to be honest, for saying, oh, I can't really be bothered with it all. Uh, But, you know, I'm prepared to be a spokesperson for older women because there are so few. So good for her. I do think that the UK has a more mindful approach to older women. That doesn't mean to say it's great or it's across the board healthy. It's not. But there is a more mindful approach. Whereas if you go to South America or even the USA, people go, yes, please make me look better, make me look younger. They're just so happy to buy into that whole thing. And, you know, my question is, is like, stop, just stop. Why do you think you need to be better when you're fine? It's just you've you're collude. Don't collude. I get frustrated. Don't collude with this messaging and then things will have to change. But a lot of women um, do collude with it. And I think definitely, as you said, the way that they kind of peddle youth is like the answer and the look to go for. But I think if we're talking more broadly about the beauty industry, just the whole basis of marketing on insecurities for all ages is is something that I really struggle with. Like even even I saw one brand has brought out face masks for your bum, the skin on your bum. And it's like, well, is that do I need to be your boobs as well? I mean, by all means, be a fool and spend your money that way it's up to you if that's how you think it's going to improve your life if you think having a wet mask on your bottom (laughs) is the way forward for you knock yourself out go ahead but understand that there is not a mask in the world that's going to make any deep improvements to your buttocks it's just there just isn't it it's really difficult i i'll tell you what else i really struggle with is the fact that very often, if we're thinking about the same brand, very often it's women 
marketing to women you know i have this person fictitious person in my head who crops up quite often on my blog called jason from marketing (laughs) jason from marketing is is the bloke who thinks that it's okay to tell women that they can't have wrinkles they can't have creases in their skin they can't have pigmentation because god knows why he's a graduate he doesn't know anything but he just wants to sell products so he's prepared to use every weapon to do it and not very uh, coherently or comprehensively either but so jason there are a lot of jasons but there are also lots of female jasons as well and i'm like come on wait till you're wait till you're 54 and see how you feel about having been messaged all your life that the only thing that's valuable about your looks is the fact that you look young see how that feels on the other side of 50 because you're not going to like it and you'll have been a part of it well done The fifth kind of and sixth product, because it fits into two categories on your list, is the product that you always repurchase and also your holy grail, which is the Sisley Lip Balm. It is. It's really hard for me to have a true holy grail because I see so many great products coming through. But Sisley, I, I cite Sisley Lip Balm because it's so bloody expensive that every time I buy it, I feel pain. But I do keep buying it, you know, and it's £50 a pot, but it's the best. It's just the best. It's so fantastic and I wear it almost every day. I've got three luxury balms and lip balm is something that I will make a spend on. I think there are a lot of places that you don't need to make a spend like foundation and now eyeshadows and that kind of thing. You know, the the market is just much more equal now, but expensive lip balms are just a little bit of a luxury for me, so. Sponsored content. Yeah. Let's talk about that because obviously, as you said, your blog has become your job your business and to make money you need to yeah advertising is kind of is, is part of that yeah. how do you personally tread the line between really being careful about the brands that you work with so you are making money but also retaining the trust and authenticity that your audience yeah. loves you for i'm thinking about campaigns that i turned down uh one was for a an asian brand a well-known asian brand who wanted me to promote and it was a cream that is just so all about anti-aging so I had to say, no, I can't do this because I will try and be the creative person that works with the brand, not against them. So I try and find a way in. So if there are other things that we can talk about, if something is billed as anti-wrinkle, I'm not going to touch it. If it's billed as anti-aging, then I will look at all the other factors. Does it make your skin glow? Does it make your skin feel smooth and soft? Does it make it look velvety? Does it help with pores? Does it, what are all the other things that I can focus on so that I can be very minimal about the fact that it it, it is purporting to make you look younger? So I will, ha- I have to work in a way that I'm allowed to use my own messaging. But then I did something with Body Shop uh, recently on IGTV, which was their, their eyeshadow sticks. And, you know, that sort of came from a place where I thought I can't, they, they've got something called uh, Drops of Youth. And I couldn't do that. I can't do that, even though nice product. I can't, I, I'm not, that's not the message I'm sending and I can't, but we get on really well. We wanted to find ways to work together. So I'm going, well, what, hang on a minute. Why can't I, why don't I do this? And they loved it. And they said, yes, great, amazing. Thank you for thinking of it. And I did it. So we're all happy. So you have to compromise and you have to find ways, ways to, to do things. But there are some brands I wouldn't touch with a barge pole. I just wouldn't. 
What is the question or topic that you get asked the most about from your audience? Do you know, one of the things that I absolutely love about BBB readers is they're so educated. They are absolutely the epitome of the educated consumer. So quite often they're not asking me anything they're telling me stuff (laughs) so and I absolutely love that so they will kind of come in with if I uh, links I always try to link to a place where there's either there's an offer that goes with the product or it's it's cheaper or the postage is free so I try to be mindful all the time about budgets and quite often they'll come in and say oh you shouldn't have linked here because at this place they it's buy one get one free or that sort of thing so you know they're sort of interactive and involved but i i guess if the thing the thing that i get asked about the most is foundation it's like but i i don't know what i still don't understand what constitutes the perfect foundation for some women because i think i think expectations have to be managed is all I can say. I suppose, and I suppose that's across beauty, isn't it? We're all looking for that one product that does everything. That but fixes I don't it. think it, ex- it doesn't exactly. exist. And I think some a lot, a big proportion of women and men pro- probably have got lodged in their head this skin coverage that is somehow going to change everything for them, and they're very invested in that possibility. And yet, I don't know that it actually exists in reality. I think a large part of that is the editing that we see on in social media as well, because because you just think that because that's the thing, even the product that they're using in the photo that makes it like it doesn't exist because it's the editing. Exactly. That that product does not exist. So when they see me piling on foundation and they can see what I look like with it with no filtering, although I will say I have a fairly new phone and I keep thinking. I seem to look better in this than I thought I would. So I'm going to have to actually have a proper look into the into the back end of it and see if there is something. But I don't think I look filtered, but I just seem to look... Do you have a Samsung? Quite glowy. Mm-hmm. I have an iPhone. iPhone, because I know that in someone, Samsung, Android phones, they have like a beautifying filter. That's no, no, no. I have that. got nothing like that yeah, switched exactly. on on my phone that I am aware of, yeah. and I think I would really know. But I do think that, that the... Um, iPhone camera is a kind camera. Oh. That's all I would say. Until you accidentally open it on selfie mode, you know, yeah, on your chin. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing, thing about these, um, these smartphone cameras is that they're getting so good. You cannot get away with a like a little blurry snap anymore because <laughs> you know that chin hair is going to show no matter what. Absolutely. Now the seventh product on your list is kind of the products that either give you a confidence boost or give you your signature look can you tell me what your how would you describe your signature makeup look so my my makeup look has really changed and now at the moment the thing that i love is just a mono lid one color on the lid off you go do your mascara do your brows and there we we are done it's so simple so my signature look for that would be like a dark eyeshadow like a really dark gray eyeshadow some black hole um just above the lash line upper and lower inner rims, load of mascara, slightly darkened brows. I'm not really massively into brows, so I don't do much with them. With just a really nice sort of glow foundation, tiny, tiny bit of blush, and maybe even just a completely clear lip. It's a bit sort of Chrissy Hind, I suppose, if I'm, I don't look anything like Chrissy Hind, but it's that sort of, almost like a, a kind of modern 60s look, I suppose. And 
Talk to me about red lipstick because I've seen in some of the pictures that you posted of yourself, you are wearing red lip. But I did see in one caption where you were talking about how you love it when you're working in, in the office, but going out in a red lip, yeah. you get a bit nervous about it. Yeah. I, I really have the, the most vivid memory of Clinique bringing out a red and they said it's an every woman red. Every woman can red, wear this red lipstick. And I went to the launch and I, I wore it and I was walking down Oxford Street and in the end I had to go off Oxford Street and go into a hotel and wash it off in the bathroom because I felt so, I just could feel my confidence disappearing and disappearing the further down I got because I felt it felt so bright and so loud on my face I just couldn't I couldn't bear it so I, I don't know I think it makes people stare at you or I felt that I felt I just felt no this is not for me but subsequently I I have become a little bit more adventurous but these like Pat McGrath I think that you're talking about the Pat McGrath lipstick that I was trying on there is no way I could leave my doorstep wearing that not least because where i live which is sort of the london suburbs i'm going to look like an idiot you know i'm not on bond street the minute i leave my house i have to make the journey there and it's it'd be excruciating no just can't do it although i never look at red lipstick on other people and think oh my god that's too loud or too bright i never but just for me, it's not the right thing. I've seen you, I follow you on Twitter as well, and I've seen you talk a bit about this, particularly in fashion, but this idea that certain makeup products or trends are for a certain age, but yeah. not for a certain yeah. age. Do you just, do you subscribe to that or not at all? No, makeup's for everyone. Yeah. But you know, if you're going to market to 20 year olds, then obviously you need to use 20 year olds in, in your imagery. And funnily enough, the last IGTV that I did uh, was about the Glossier matte lipsticks, which are really low pigment. But they're amazing. They're fantastic because if you're, as you get older, actually you want to do a bit less. You don't want to be full on all the time. Well, I don't anyway. And I think a lot of people would, when older women would agree with me. And the feedback on that from all of the older women has been, it's amazing. Great. This is exactly what I want and need, you know? So I'm thinking, Glossia, I know you're trying to talk to the 20 to 30 year olds, but actually the 50 year olds love you. You're missing, you're missing something by not speaking to them, but it's not, they're a multi-million pound company, they don't care. They've got, you know, they're doing fine. They don't need my tips, I don't think. But I mean, you talk about that and we talk about the, as you said, the beauty industry that have just ignored a whole section of the population mm. for so long. The sheer buying power that mm -hmm. these women have. Yes. Because it's if I will take myself and use myself as a sort of spine with the ribs coming off as an example, but my children are grown up. I, I, you know, I don't have dependent children anymore. I don't have a mortgage to pay anymore. My time is pretty much my own. I have made my own money, but sort of collectively, I suppose I'm at a much more comfortable time of my life where I can, my income is really at my disposal. I don't have to think about, do I need to spend it on school uniform? Do, do I need to spend it on trips? with the kids that sort of thing nothing so we become much more able to focus on what we want and for some women you never have any disposable income that's just how life goes really but they are missing this big big tranche of older women who have got the time the money and the inclination and that is a ready audience and people don't talk to them it's crazy and then on the flip side we have 
people who see the opportunity to tap into that. And I think it's also we're seeing a lot more diversity in beauty, but almost that diversity has become a, a trend that brands need to do to kind of feed an audience. But you did a great speaking about taking something and making it a trend as opposed to a genuine service. You did a great Instagram TV video very recently about menopause beauty as a trend. <gasps> Don't even start me on that. <laughs> it makes me so angry. There is literally nothing in any menopause face creams that you your skin actually needs i mean you might like to put it on your face which is is an entirely different thing but in your normal face cream you will get moisturizers you might get hyaluronic you might get ceramides you might get retinol you might get you know there are lots and lots of different ingredients that can go into a beauty cream for skin at every age and yet there are some people who've said, oh, we've done something special and committed uh, and commissioned this special report to say how these menopausal skin is literally going to wither off your face unless you feed it with these things. None of this is true. People have managed without and nothing bad has happened. A lot of women now take HRT, so their men their skin is in the best shape ever. Because thank you HRT, it's not thank you Estee Lauder, thank you Clinique, it's thank you HRT for a lot of older women. But you know that I do not like this messaging, and in fact, I was saying how much I didn't like it, and menopause specific things are not necessary. And the owner of a menopause brand got in touch with me and said, "Oh, I really a woman." Oh, I really, really want to tell you how different we are. And so I'm like, go on then. No, it was, it's like, what did you not hear about what I just said? You're being ridiculous. Is there a particular makeup trend or product that you just can't be bothered, don't have time for? Can't Brows. Be bothered with? Brows. Brows. Can't be asked, sorry. Just cannot. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I plucked my eyebrows. I did put a bit of benefit, the powder on them if for a special occasion <laughs> not day to day that is it that is pretty much it the final product on your list is the product that you would trust with your life or one that doesn't have to be particularly glamorous but does the job very well and that you you put is the bioderma micella cleanser yeah tell me why you like that so i like bioderma micella waters and micella waters in general actually because it's the it's the sitting in front of the tv cleanse isn't it it's the one <laughs> i love that, that description yeah it's like I am not every night at my bathroom mirror going through like a million cleansers followed by toner, followed by lotion, followed by serum, followed by retinol, followed by moisturizer. That's not, so not me. Sometimes I just like to have a glass of wine and clean off with a micellar while I'm watching telly. What's wrong with that? And it's the perfect product for that. It's also good to take on holiday. So it cuts through makeup, grime, oils, everything. It just, it just does everything in a really gentle, effective way. Now, you've mentioned retinol a few times, and I feel like that's particularly one ingredient that is really effective in terms of you can see the difference quite quickly, but yeah. it can be quite an intimidating one. What is kind of your advice for where to start with it? So I was retinol shy for really a long time. I never bought into the retinol. Then I used the Origins retinol product, and it was with a view to doing some sponsored content with it. And actually, I was I was supposed to use it for two weeks and then do some sponsored content. And I used it for six weeks before I was prepared to give any verdict. But oh my God, it worked. It really, really worked. But initially, I was worried about it. And 
my my worries was partially well founded because I got very my skin swole up um, quite a bit around my eyes, but because I'd spoken to the formulator, she'd gone, "You have to go through it, and you will come through the other side," and so I did. And it was fine. I mean, it was, nobody else noticed. It was only me. I did not have eyes like golf balls. <laughs> but I was thinking, oh, what am I doing? This is too strong. But it wasn't. And it was amazing. And I've subsequently actually gone on to buy a second tube. But I'm not using it at the moment because I have to chop and change in and out. But I'm going to start it again in September, October time, I think. And I think, as you mentioned, obviously, you get sent a lot of products. Yes. Do you still enjoy... I feel like you, there's a different side to it when you're actually going into Boots or Selfridges or whatever and actually shopping for yourself. Mm. Do you do you still enjoy that process of discovering or do you... Less so. Yeah. If I'm truly, truly honest, I am less interested than I used to be. Like I, The passion is still there. It just takes something much more impressive these days to spark it off. Whereas before I'd be like, oh my God, a banana shaped powder. This is amazing. Now I'm like, oh, bananas, who cares? So, but what I try and do is be a consumer as well. So when I go into a store and I go, what do I actually want from here? What would really be a nice thing for me to take home? Even though I don't sort of, it's really hard to justify buying another lipstick when I've probably got in excess of 600 at home, something like that. I would... I mean, I give a lot away, obviously, but that would be a very conservative estimate of the number of lipsticks that have come through my door in the last 11 years. I mean, gosh, I've never thought of this before, but I'm sure it'd be going into the thousands. I'm sure it would. But I do try and be that consumer so that I remember what, what it actually feels like to walk away feeling really pleased with something rather than just expect it to land in my lap all the time. And I think there's something also about that in terms of remembering kind of the value. Working in beauty, there are so many products I've been sent and tried and loved, but if I had to actually buy them myself, probably couldn't afford to. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The days of the £35 plus lipstick are here, 100%. But in as much as I possibly can, I'm here to say, you never need to spend that amount. You might want to, and if you do want to, go ahead. Amazing. And But you don't need to because high street beauty, so better priced beauty, is so much more readily available. And, you know, we're talking a matter of small degrees in difference. But it's like, why does somebody buy Nike trainers and someone else is quite happy to buy M&S trainers? It's that same thing. It just depends how what you want to buy into and what your budget dictates. Outside of beauty, what does your kind of ideal Sunday look like? We're quite sociable. We go away on uh, quite a few long weekends. So we'll nip over to Nice or do something like that. And so we sort of try and do short hop European long weekends because my husband works in Switzerland. So it's actually quite important that we make the most of our time. So we usually have friends around for dinner or we go out or stuff. It's quite sociable. So Sunday is, is it's like recovery day <laughs> yeah. for me. So my ideal Sunday is to go. It, sound, it sounds so shishi and it, it probably is a bit, I have to admit. But I don't, the only thing I can say in my defense is I don't have like a wicker basket. But I go along to the farmer's market in Blackheath and buy some nice bread and that kind of thing and walk my dog and then go home and we have a nice breakfast, that sort of thing. And then I might devote the rest of the day to watching telly on the sofa. Love it. Finally, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given either 
for work, for professional, or just about life in general? I heard it on a radio show and it stuck with me, I mean, absolutely years ago. Something like, um, sometimes you have to jump without looking. And that's really true because if you, I think you can stop yourself doing so many, there are so many reasons why you shouldn't that you forget to look for the reasons why you should or be prepared to face consequences not necessarily going to be as dreadful as you think. I mean, my whole blog exists because I jumped without looking. Great advice. Because it's so easy to overthink things. And it, like yeah, you said, talk yourself out of yeah. everything. Now, you've talked us through the eight products that have a special memory yeah. or meaning for you. And as I send you to Beauty Island, I've got you to talk about all of them, but I'm only going to give you one to take. And it doesn't have to be, throw all practicality out of the window. If you had to choose just one of the eight, the seven or eight products you've spoken about today for the memories or for whatever it gives you, which one would you choose? Oh, this is, this is such a difficult choice. <laughs> I think I'd have to take the Sizzly Lip Balm. I think I would have to because that is more of a multitasker than anything else. But I quite like the idea of that if I'm found, I smell of Chanel. <laughs> I mean, I think it'd have to be the balm. Jane, thank you so much thank for talking you. to me today for Beauty Island. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island. I hope you enjoyed it and remember you can find all the details of where to find and follow Jane as well as all the products she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. And I may have another little bite-sized bonus episode dropping later in the week with some of Jane's current makeup favourites so keep an eye out for that. If you fancy chatting more beauty you can always find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS. Or you can send me an email if that's, if that's what you prefer, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a beauty newsletter that is being relaunched this week called It's a Beauty. And I send like a, a beauty column with reviews, recommendations, tips and tricks delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you'd like to sign up, um, it is free. The link is in the show notes as well. Thank you. And until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>